say everything's bigger in Texas, including climate change. That's why Houston is leading the energy transition. Here in H-Town, the fourth largest city in the United States, entrepreneurs from across Texas and around the world are gathering to work with titans of industry to build the technology that will reduce emissions and power a low carbon future. We sit down with those change makers and wildcatters who are solving the toughest energy challenges. With trillions of dollars on the line, we dig into how Houston will bring technology to market on a massive scale. Join us as we talk with the leaders of the energy capital of the world as they show us how the energy transition gets done. I'm Lara Cottingham, and this is the Energy Technology Podcast. And I'm Jason Etier. Let's jump in. Welcome back to the show. Uh, today, we are excited to have Sujatha Kumar, the CEO of Decider here. I also have Brandon Brown, the VP of Business, business Development. Um, the two of them are working on the Decider Energy Platform. I'm very excited about this platform. We're going to see a lot of, uh, about them in the next uh, year um, as, uh, as carbon and energy management take center stage uh, with S&P 500 companies. I would love for you guys to introduce what you guys exactly do. Thank you, Jason. Um, so, so with Decider, what we the problem we are solving is really trying to address the energy transition space and making it easy for companies to plan for and sustainably reduce um, uh, carbon to achieve net zero operations. Um, most companies think of uh, net zero as hardware tech bringing together. Uh, the new technologies to reduce carbon. Very important. Mm -hmm. But what is just as important is digital technologies that make, that drive value from, um, from all these hard techs and helping companies plan for, you know, uh, how, how can they economically reduce? How can they, uh, you know, having all the standardized metrics to be able to achieve that reduction? We enable all of that. Uh, through Decider platform. Um, and, you know, I'd let uh, Brandon kind of introduce himself and kind of also. So it's great to be here. Brandon Brown, like you said, business <laughs> development sales guy. I've been selling tech to the energy space for just about 20 years. So we're very excited. We think that there is a change, a momentum of change you see across energy right now and, and you know, with low carbon transition. Um, so excited to talk to you guys about Decider today. Thanks yeah. for having us. Uh, I, I got to ask, do, do energy companies like buying technology? <laughs> <laughs> it's a great question. Yeah. I mean, um, they say they do. Right. Yeah. It's a, it, it's a volatile landscape when you look at it across time. Um, it's a necessary evil sometimes, but also it's, you know, a big enabler. I mean, if you're talking to organizations about making sure that they have no unplanned downtime or that they're pro productivity is as high as it needs to be, then yes, you see a lot of consumption of tech products and energy. Mm -hmm. it, you know, it's funny. Uh, if you take the energy landscape, if you think about oil and gas companies, and they are the big energy, I mean, technology users, mm -hmm. they do exploration. They, you know, they plan for everything before they even go and do, um, you know, one bit of investment in exploring in any new areas. They have all the technology mm -hmm. to do it from a um, you know, geospatial, geophysics perspective. Um, now that energy transition is here, they need to adopt some of those same principles into planning for the energy transition. Mm. Um, the, the knowledge that they have built over many years in that space 
they need to now evolve and use technology to plan for it to achieve that net zero operations. And I'm using oil and gas as a proxy. All industries have to come together because knowledge is the most nascent. And without using technology like Decider, they are just kind of um, planning or investing or operating with their hands tied to their back. Why would you want to It's like trial by fire. I mean, we see a number of of publications and articles about companies that have made huge investments. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can think about Suncor. I think Suncor invested in somewhere between 10 and 12 wind farms. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they did some solar as well. Well, guess what? They've completely decided to divest themselves of wind and solar Mm -hmm. and are going to focus on hydrogen because they feel like that's more of a core competency Mm -hmm. to their organization. So again, we get to this fact of everyone wants to engage in energy transition. Some simply don't know how to get started because they cannot validate an investment. Mm. And so we're here to help. We want to be able to plug into that pain and try to help these companies smooth the process of making the transition. So so I guess uh, tell us a little bit about like a case example, uh, a use case example of uh, of a real project or or something you've seen that that would describe how the tool gets used. Yeah, so let's take a use case of putting onshore or offshore Mm -hmm. uh, wind farms um, in different parts of the world. So you take these, uh, whether you are a utility or uh, oil and gas company, those those boundaries are blending right now. Oil and gas is coming Mm -hmm. into renewables and utilities have been this space for a long time. So when they have to actually think about okay, where am I? What does my turbine farm look like? What is my energy yield? Should I put this in Ohio, in Pennsylvania? Or, you know, it's the same thing whether you go and put it in Germany, in Australia. The the fundamental thing they have to understand is energy yield, economics, and carbon abatement. Mm -hmm. And so these three metrics become very important. How do you compare site by site and say, what is my levelized cost of energy in Ohio versus Pennsylvania? What is my, that's all driven by energy yield that drives economics and, you know, and the energy yield drives uh, carbon abatement. Mm -hmm. So we provide a, our energy decider energy planner, just out of the box, you plug it in, they can go in and say, I want to create hundred megawatts uh, here in Pennsylvania and Ohio, based on all the land cost, everything. What is my economics? What is an NPV? What is the energy yield? What is my levelized cost of energy? Just in minutes, they just have to go in and say, this latitude, longitude, mm-hmm. what, and this kind of turbine, and off they go. They don't even have to do anything. They just put their uh, location, and we bring in publicly available data, and you can go simulate it, get all the analysis that you want to compare between all these different sites. We make it that easy. And then they they can go in and say, I want to blend in wind and solar. And what is the energy yield? Same thing. Then they can go, oh, I want to solve for intermittency. I want to be able to give base load green power. Oh, great. We can put in, we can put in a battery and we can put in, uh, or any kind of storage, and we can put in grid. And you can just go, okay, when when do um, you know when there is intermittency, you would get it from the battery or grid, or when there is excess power, it'll go into storage. And 
our backend takes care of all of this. So all they have to do is say, what is it that they want to analyze? And they sh we make it very easy for them to analyze this across multiple locations. That's This is the basic entry model for mm. us. So a lot of developers are probably doing this in their own way today. Mm -hmm. Do you know how they do it currently without Decider? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, the common tool to use is um, Excel spreadsheets. Um, Department of Energy kind of has a lot of these um, common metrics. You can just go in and just plug it in and they'll get something out. But no one does a cross-asset optimization, right? Hmm. No one will tell you how do you solve for intermittency. So companies have to assume a certain things or they scale everything. You can scale it to 200 megawatts, but still intermittency is not solved. Right. So what you're able to do is really be able to provide them with that data across the globe that they yes. wouldn't have otherwise if they're just making these analysis exactly. amongst maybe their own projects. Exactly. And they can compare and then they create a baseline and then they can create different scenarios. What if I had mm -hmm. this scenario, what happens? So they understand risks across multiple, mm -hmm. you know, multiple scenarios, multiple locations. And so when they, when you have everything from economics, carbon abatement, everything is in front of them for them to make decisions, change one parameter, see, you know, it's like turning a knob. You turn one thing, what happens? You do this, what happens? It is that easy and intuitive. And, you know, even somebody who doesn't know renewables knows mm. nothing about turbines or solar or mm. hydrogen or anything can come into our model and, I mean, come into our uh, tech solution and say, okay, how do we do this? Mm -hmm. and, and we actually walk them through in our platform to be able to deliver this. Yeah. And, and who's the, I guess, the consumer or the buyer of, of the solution? Yeah, so you would look at it, I mean, it's a little different, right? So if you're talking to an oil and gas company, new projects so if you're if you're thinking about the development of a new low carbon asset it typically starts in strategic planning mm. and once they get kind of a framework in strategic planning then that gets passed along to their engineering design teams pre-feed feed they bring in their epc that's how they go you, you so, have to explain what a feed is for people who yeah, don't know front-end engineering <laughs> okay. design sorry yeah front-end engineering design so and typically once they're there they they've kind of already they Everyone's signed off on the aspect that they're going to invest this much money on this asset. The difference is now what we're saying is during that strategic planning process, why not use a modeling solution at a higher level? You know, if you think about process modeling, there are a lot of solutions out there. Um, if you think about network modeling, a lot of solutions out there. But from a net zero modeling perspective, um, everyone is in this let's acquire knowledge kind of mode right now. And what we're saying is you can build in that knowledge into a visualized modeling tool that will allow you to essentially design a, a high level, you know, the high level configuration of what an asset will look like, and then do scenario analysis with that to figure out what your forecast will look like over time. So the difference between how they're doing it today in spreadsheets is, Someone develops a, a spreadsheet and strategic plan and says, here's what we have from a capital expenditure availability. Mm -hmm. What projects are we going to allocate that to? And it gets passed along to another analyst that creates another spreadsheet. Then it gets passed along to an engineer that creates another spreadsheet. And gradually they get to a strategic plan. What we're saying is let's combine mm -hmm. all of those steps and let's combine the knowledge needed to 
to increase the velocity that those steps can can happen in, mm-hmm. as opposed to months and years, people need to be able to do this in weeks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right, for the audience here, we we had a, we had a chair malfunction. Uh, <laughs> your malfunction that was funny. That okay. was kind of good. <laughs> that was, that was yeah, a good like endpoint. Yeah, like, yeah. okay, definitively, this is the solution this we need. This is what we do when we want to get yeah, someone to stop talking. Jason, that's what yeah. it was. Um, so you you know the one of the the, the key hunter. things to note there is we talk a lot about mm. modeling mm. and what we have done in our platform is that's how we do the analysis ourselves we actually model mm-hmm. for an end user they can choose to model but they don't have to mm. Mm. they can just go and do repetitive analysis and you know they can keep simulating and then they can optimize for the solution that they want. They really, if they don't want to even look at the model, they don't have to. Mm-hmm. That's how simple it is. But the back end of it is really, you know, models. We have, uh, you know, objects which are wind turbines that we connect to, uh, you know, electrolyzers to produce hydrogen, mm-hmm. or we connect it to cables to bring the power to substations. That's that's the back end. That that's what we do well, and we built it, and we use it to provide the analysis. And users don't even have to see it if they don't have to. So, other than oil and gas companies, then who else could be a utilities? Uti- the user. biggest market that we are seeing right now is real estate, mm. because if you take New York and mm. California, there is a lot of pressure to mm. uh, you know achieve green buildings. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of, uh, you know, this carrot and stick for that in those um, states. And so we are seeing a lot of um, pull from that. Mm. So the, the, the nice thing is the same model that we are using for energy mix for gas operations or oil and gas, you know, production. It's the same model we use for building, mm. except it will be the demand from buildings and then you do the energy mix. Do you want to put roof, rooftop solar, rooftop turbines? Mm. Um, you know, what is that baseload clean power? You know, if I have to expand my demand, how is this? How am I going to make it more green? And do I need to pull off the grid? Right. So we're also seeing, um, so I think traditionally what we've kind of seen is, yes, oil and gas companies, both upstream and downstream as she mentioned, you know, power generation or utilities, you know, grid operators, what have you. We also see the real estate. And then the last category that we're kind of seeing some movement in is tech and startups themselves. Mm -hmm. Hey, there's a hard tech company that's building a new reactor and they need to model how that reactor will perform in different environments Mm -hmm. and under different, you know, power mixes. That also biofuels. You're seeing a lot of biofuels, Mm -hmm. you know, PR out there in the marketplace as Mm -hmm. well. Well, guess what? There's very few organizations that have run a big biofuels refinery at scale. Mm-hmm. So they're in the process of looking at how they run a mm-hmm. forecast, look forward. So we're seeing movement mm-hmm. in those mm-hmm. couple of spaces as well. Yeah, no. That, so it, I obviously see a lot of startups and early stage companies um, in my role. And um, there's a lot of tools out there to try and estimate like the forward impact of a company. There's the mm-hmm. Crane tool, which does a decent job of, of looking at like markets. Um, but what I hear from investors a lot of times is, is when a startup tries to estimate its carbon impact, they are like wildly optimistic, partly because they don't understand right. all the like pieces yeah, yeah. of the right. carbon footprint. 
from scope one to scope three. Right. Um, and, and energy input is a big right. piece of that. And when you're talking talking about pulling a new piece of technology into a, a process, like it, like you, this is not something you do off the cuff. You actually right. got to do more more deep analysis. When you're an early stage company, you don't have the resources to actually go in and become an expert. Yeah. And so I, I can see how this supports both sides, right? It's it's the technology developer who's mm-hmm. trying to bring yeah. something to market and really sell on the carbon benefit. But then those early stage investors, be it grant providers through, you know, the early pilot customers, right. they, they also need to be able to sell up and say, you know, this is where this is going to go. That's Absolutely. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for the technology companies mm-hmm. he's talking about, it's all scope two emissions, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, what kind of energy are they going to bring in? And most of these guys are trying to just bring in with there is no scope one emissions. Mm-hmm. It's mostly scope two because it's the energy that they are using within their operations. Um, the um, And by doing this, we are targeting scope three emissions, mm-hmm. right? Because we are the way we are looking at it is we're looking at scope two and everything else, which is around transportation. So, you know, is there any carbon intensity that has been displaced into transportation? So we capture all of that. So that's why we say that we organically bring mm-hmm. in scope, scope three emissions by doing what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you think about our customer profile, think of it as a network effect or a totem pole. Mm-hmm. On the top of it is your, you know, the big companies. Uh, it can be anybody from the operating companies, uh, the you know, the oil companies, the BP, Chevrons, etc. Or you can have um, utilities, the EDPs, the Duke Energy, mm-hmm. etc. And then you have all the services companies that can also be in that category. And then you have all the technology companies, everybody from or, you know, somebody who's making a new mm-hmm. reactor to create a sustainable aviation fuel, or it can be a biofuel company, or it can be a new electrolyzer company, a new turbine company. All of them have to use something to show their customers mm-hmm. that they can deliver this in a very carbon neutral way and a very economic way. And they can use our tool very easily to build it. So now we have that network effect of hey, we have all of these suppliers into a, in that you can use and you can go and look at, okay, in this particular location, do I use this electrolyzer mm. or this turbine? Or, and that'll help it make it more granular. So we are making it very easy for customers to come in and say, oh, I just want to just strategically look at in this location, can I use baseload clean power? Perfect use this model, and then they go in, oh, I want to do some granular analysis on production of hydrogen, as an example, or geothermal, then we we will go in and do the granular analysis. We'll deploy the model. They can go in and say, what if I use this technology? What happens? These are the scenario analysis that they can easily do. Do you have a like a analysis for like sensitivity on um, price of carbon? Um, I guess not, not, not yes. here in the U.S., but in other markets. Yeah, yeah. so the price of carbon is, yeah. you know, so they can just go in and say, okay, uh, what does 45Q look like here? Mm, okay. And the equivalent in, in, in Europe, you know, price of carbon is 50 euros or whatever per uh, per ton of uh, uh, carbon. They can, you know, they can just put in, it's the financials are there, mm. they configure whatever. I don't really care. I give it back to the users. Do you want to configure your 45Q? Here, you can put it in. Can you explain to me what 45Q is? 45Q is the, um, 
is a regulation in the U.S. Okay. that is uh, still in the process of being kind of confirmed in terms of, you know, what is the price of carbon that they're going to charge, which becomes another stick for companies to mm -hmm. come in and do something, right? Because this is so expensive, there needs to be some kind of financial mm -hmm. mitigation for companies. So they have come up with uh, the infrastructure um Inflation, Inflation Reduction, reduction Act, Act mm -hmm. which is an incentive for companies mm -hmm. to start saying, hey, we will measure this on a more granular basis right. if it's meaningful to our bottom line. And so there is an incentive now out there. And, and there's a difference between in the market, you know, for the heavy emitters in the world, heavy emitter operators in the world, they've had regulatory requirements that they have to disclose for air, water and waste for a very long time. But it's still an estimation. Mm -hmm. It's not a granular, oh, we know exactly what this particular sensor has picked up in real time, and we're publishing that. Obviously, regulatory requirements kind of, they, they tend to always get more strenuous. They don't seem to get relaxed very often. So with an incentive and with more and more regulation, now I think is the time that we'll see companies start to say, mm -hmm. we need to think about this because it, will, it does have a bottom line impact now. So take, for example, that companies are going to invest in more renewables, more solar, because IRA is providing either a production credit or an investment credit. Um, you know, it can la vastly impact their cash flows, mm. right? So suddenly it becomes um, profitable for them to go and do this, mm. right? Whether you are a real estate company, you're a industrial company, it suddenly just you know, uh, is, is feasible for them. Um, and then on top of it, so this is the, the carrot that governments are using. And then Europe has, has his own subsidies and green energy credits that they are getting. And then there is the, the stick, mm -hmm. the stick is 45 Q. Mm -hmm. Every time you have carbon, you're going to be dinged. And then you have SEC mm -hmm. reporting on carbon. Mm -hmm. So all of this is the stick. So uh, countries are trying to use both to be able to bring companies to um, to entice them really to be more carbon neutral. Mm -hmm. Now, um, the one of the things I really want to you know kind of uh, have the right narrative around is we cannot achieve energy transition without fossil fuels. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this is a narrative that gets lost. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we do is actually, you know, we we have we are building models to show how can you do point source capture, how can you inject it, what are the risks around it. So because we believe gas, you know, everybody knows gas is the energy transition fuel. So it needs to be part of the mix. So it is a transition. It is a mix of different kinds mm. of energy to bring about the right level of sustainable carbon reduction. So we model each element of it so that, you know, it's, it's what fits for every company, what fits for every end user. So how do they bring this mix together to get that mm -hmm. carbon abatement, that baseload green power? Yeah, so, so I thought maybe switching gears a little bit, um, there's been a lot of, advancement in the past year within AI and machine learning. 
And I'm wondering, since you guys started and since all that's happened now in the past year, how has that impacted your models and your end product and what your customers are then expecting? Mm -hmm. Thank you, Nada. I mean, that's a, you know, that's a great question. And um, when we started this, and I think we mentioned this before, we, you know, we started looking at it from physics-based models, rule-based models, deterministic. Uh, you know, we can do probabilistic models. And we looked at it and we said, you know, we really felt very proud about what we had achieved because this was really a very robust modeling and simulation tool. Um, then we kind of recognized the fact that um, we need to simplify it for our users. Uh, you know, we felt like we were a bunch of geeks pulling together something that was very interesting and um you know, from our mindset, very innovative, but innovation is about making things simpler, not making it more complex. So when we started looking at it, we, we pivoted more towards, okay, how can we use a simple wizard to walk them through like you have, and even when you create a Word document, right? Mm -hmm. um, so we can ask questions like, hey, you want to build a wind farm? Tell us where it is. Tell us you know, how much megawatt you want to build it for. And we can then show them the analysis without them having to go into a model. So that was the first thing we started bringing about. The second thing we said was, oh, you know, um, how do we integrate OpenAI into building out these models and generating some of this analysis by somebody just pinging, um, our, our, um, our own open AI model, which is trained by the knowledge that, uh, that we are training it with. Mm. And so we can just go in and put in saying, hey, here is a turbine farm. What should, just tell me what is the spacing of the turbine that needs to be there so that I get the maximum energy yield. They just type it in, it goes into the model and it generates all the analysis. And then they can look at it and say, okay, um, you know, I want to increase it by another, you know, 100 megawatts. What should the sizing be? What should, how many turbines do I need? And, and what is the energy yield? Mm. It'll give it to them. And, you know, we do this by um, using OpenAI, mm. but we train it with our own data. We train it with, you know, uh, with a lot of publicly available information that we ourselves use in, within our model. We just train OpenAI, and it's our OpenAI, and we link it to our models. So users really don't have to have a lot of knowledge. They can just explore using this, and it becomes almost a training tool for mm -hmm. organizations if they think about it. Mm -hmm. um, and then customers have come to us and asked us, how do we use our own data to train OpenAI? Mm -hmm. Very simple. We'll take our OpenAI and we will train it with their data, but the one that they have trained it with, it becomes their IP. We launch it only with their mm -hmm. uh, environment. And so that combines our knowledge and their um, kind of knowledge. And so they can have their own proprietary interface to how they can run their analysis. Right. And I think that that's kind of the evolution that mm -hmm. we're seeing also in just in the you know, the general industrial marketplace mm. is that newer and newer engineers come to come to a job 
and expect things to be as simple as an iPhone application. Absolutely, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, they want this to be prompt-driven, you know, wizard-based, even though you probably don't refer to your iPhone apps as wizard-based. Mm -hmm. When you set them up, mm -hmm. they all basically are. And so it's the idea is that if you think about it from our perspective, it is we have an object library. That object library is made up of hundreds of different objects. One, they can be solar objects, and it's different solar panel configurations for, you know, highly intense industrial operations or solar for, you know, residential housing. Same thing, wind turbines. I mean, there are a vast array of wind turbines and how many megawatts they produce. So we have objects for those. We have objects for electrolyzer, for mm. producing hydrogen. And the idea is that you don't need to have the expertise in electrolyzers. You don't need to have the expertise in PV cells at, you know, such and such megawatts. It's like that intelligence is built in. If I can interrogate you and ask you questions about where you want it, then using AI, we will select an object, we'll select some publicly available data, and we'll run a future forecast by the location that you plug in in those prompts as well. And so the AI is generating a baseline. Mm. And then that baseline can be took within the organization and then moved around and reconfigured for optimum performance based upon how much a company wants to spend. Mm. We believe that's where this industry will go. It is an integrated, simplified process to plan and execute um, with all of the data and knowledge that they have today, but with additional nascent knowledge that we've mm -hmm. captured using AI. It's funny. You're, you're reminding me, like, in, in many ways, that the, the revolution in AI is that um, you're going to replace really expensive, like, consultants. Mm -hmm. A lot of times, like, you, you have yeah. someone who's kind of a product, project manager or consultant goes around and, and does that and says, I have a process for taking yes. right. information. I'm going to feed it to the to the egghead in the back to like do the Excel model. Right. But I need to like ask and, and kind of probe. Yeah. And you can set up this wizard essentially now. That's a good way to think yeah. about a wizard to say, ask the questions in a procedural right. way, but I got to understand the English right. that comes back. And we're going to translate that into the inputs exactly. for this model and, so you don't have to see the model. And, and you know, so the it, for those baseline scenarios, absolutely. A lot of interpretation. Companies have their own talent or they are going to use consultant for all the interpretations. So yeah. uh, we are taking the mundane task away, mm -hmm. right? Uh, we are trying to accelerate that, bring knowledge together, accelerate it and provide those metrics. And then it's left for interpretation and strategizing around how to do it. Um, you know, we are, we'd like to think we are kind of putting a gaming sense to doing this, making mm. it fun. Mm. Like it doesn't have to be laborious. Right. Mm. You know, and so the next generation that's going to come into the energy uh, industry or largely mm. the next generation is going to look for, as you said, that kind of aspect mm -hmm. of how do you bring in new technologies to solve a very complex problem. Mm -hmm. And we're not trying to take away from the complex problem. We just want to make it easier to use embedding knowledge, mm -hmm. right? So you don't have to hunt and pack knowledge and data, mm -hmm. you know, just hunt, go in and understand the analysis and do what you have to do in your company to make it happen. That's really what we are simplifying. Mm -hmm. So I'm sold. <laughs> so this is, so this is, so it seems like you've thought through, um, all the different um, scenarios here, incorporated all the latest technology, 
And you've been now going on and talking to a lot of customers. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering, what do you perceive to be your biggest threat now or your biggest barrier in terms of getting onboarding these customers, getting them on board and having them test your product so you can optimize it and really become that unicorn that you so desire to be? (laughs) Of course, don't we all? Um, So we are getting so much traction with, you know, anybody and everybody we speak to, you know, there is tremendous in, um, level of fascination and interest in what we're doing. Um, you know, the from an industry perspective, they are, you know, th- they are trying to get it. They all have set goals, you know, and then now they have to take actions. And, uh, you know, so they are getting there. We see a lot of traction in different levels of companies. Uh, There are the large corporations that still feel they can do it themselves, but they see the value in Mm -hmm. kind of working with us, but it's taking a longer time because there are barriers to entry into those organizations. Um, We see all the mid-tier companies that are very interested in working with us. The technology companies Mm -hmm. love us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So... You know, we think we need to have a mix of different customers to actually make this happen. We are also making it very interesting to say um, we are going to give a very low threshold in terms of entry from a pricing point Mm -hmm. of view. So if you want to just do a quick analysis, it's, you know, really in in the tens of thousands, like here, take it. Thinking like a um, software as a service model. Yes. Yeah. Oh, it's absolutely. A, mm-hmm. It's a yeah. software as a service model. Mm-hmm. Use it and, you know, use it for a few scenarios and then um, come back to us if you need more value. So trying to make adoption very simple. So um, we think that there's, you know, like, for instance, in the real estate market um, for commercial buildings, um, you're not going to have a lot of intense users mm-hmm. and the models aren't going to be. A lot of there's not going to be a lot of differentiating complexity mm-hmm. between models. They're going to be fairly stable with regards to how you look at them. Whereas an energy company is going to have a fairly complex model depending on the input variables that they want to generate their baseload power. So that kind of lends itself to a light user mm-hmm. that is just mm-hmm. going to interpret and, and run analysis on a very, very simplified baseline model all the way up to someone that says, no, look, we're going to take an existing operation. We're going to retrofit it for low carbon or biofuels. I need to look at what this is going to run for the next 30 years. And I need to see a granular daily forecast, or I need to see an hourly forecast of what that means, because I need to plan for what capital expenditures I'm going to have to put out and when I'm going to actually get paid back. So that's kind of a different Mm -hmm. scenario. So we do see levels and over time, the complexity kind of saying you naturally select how you want to evolve in the product. Mm-hmm. Once you're up and running, it, this really becomes more of an executive dashboard. Mm-hmm. And it is, you've got dashboards now in the executive suite within most of these sectors that say, how am I performing against X? Typically it's the market price, and then it is your operating cash flows, and then it might be your long-term plan with how your assets are, are aging. What we're saying now is, hey, guess what? You, in, in the future, you're going to want to measure that against your carbon performance, whatever that is. We're headed there. We don't really know exactly what it's going to be, but it is going to be a KPI that everyone mm-hmm. becomes interested in. 
they're going to be forced to be interested in it if they're not. And now they're going to, well, how, how am I performing regarding carbon abatement? How have I lowered carbon with this asset? What is that new operation doing for me? A dashboard to answer all those questions in a real-time basis or a near real-time basis over time is where we see ourselves mm-hmm. filling in for post-new project or you know, post-operation um, kickoff. So, you know, baseline models, very simple, low price. Anybody can buy it. And then there's levels of complexity that you can go into. And the final complexity is if you want to build your own models, buy a platform. We mm-hmm. can do it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, we are trying to take a very, you know, based on where the industry is, where we are, um, you know, globally, you know, some countries getting into it much more than others. But, you know, we need to provide the uh, low-hanging fruit. Come in, use it. We can build more complexity. If you don't need it, great. Just use a model and you can keep using it over and over again to look at different locations, just looking at standardized metrics, few scenarios. Then you can go into the next level, which is a little bit more tiered and saying you can do multiple scenarios. You can have a little bit more functionality to the models. The third one, the third level is, oh, you want to just take this and build hydrogen or you want to use a detailed geothermal model, or you want to do a CCUS model, yeah, we can, we'll can. Mm-hmm. we build it in. Now that's the third level. The fourth level is a platform. You want to do it all, you can do it. So we have tiered it so that you can have different entry levels. Be mm-hmm. ready for where customers are. Yeah. yeah, so you're matching the maturity level. Well, maturity and, level. The persona, and the persona that's and the pers- yeah. yeah, And the personas. Because I'm also, almost also um, thinking that one of the biggest barriers for you would also be the maturity levels of the customers, because mm. if they're not measuring themselves on exactly. carbon ab- yeah. abatement, they're talking the talk, um, but and, they're not. Yeah, yeah, and we see it with a lot of customers, right? Um, because they they have been in, they've been asked to do this, and mm. they have they have to learn to get there. How do they, um, you know, how do they have an understanding of what we are even providing? How do they make sure the results that the analysis that we are providing is actually accurate? But so, you're, but yeah, mm-hmm. but you're also seeing like you're seeing a change um, at the highest level across the industry, and I think that's really important to note. We've talked about it a little bit, but it is you know your traditional super majors becoming mm-hmm. hybrid power companies. Mm-hmm. I mean, Statoil turned into Equinor, yep. and Equinor's. Mm-hmm. You know, their MO is is way different than it was before that that revolution. Shell is going through that kind of same metamorphosis right now as well. As that goes, if as that continues, the need for what we're doing intensifies and the personas that want to consume knowledge that our product can produce, it starts to expand itself kind of naturally. So we see that happening in Europe and other parts of the world quicker than we do in the U.S., but we see that IRA as an incentive mm. to kind of kill, move that forward. So if we can, um, I, I want to dig in a little bit to like the, the founding story because, you know, we're seeing a convergence of forces sure. here. But I, I remember, Sujat, I think I met you, you were still running a consulting firm at that at the That's time. That's right. Yeah. And you said, you know what, I am making the leap. I am I am jumping over. T- tell sure. us a little bit about like what you were feeling because you clearly saw this coming. Yes. Right. Tell us about that. Um, you know, so a little bit about my background, which I never mm. spoke about, which is um, I'm a technologist, right? Mm. Built, you know, run technology companies for a long time. The last one 
that I was at, we sold it to Honeywell. So mm. spent my time with Honeywell. So I know the energy industry extremely mm. well. And then, um, you know, after my, you know, my golden ha- handcuffs were over at Honeywell, you know, I, I, I tell people once you run, you know, part of a small tech company, you can never go back. Mm. You really want to be that innovative. So got out and, you know, you thought about, okay, what is it that you want to do? You know, what is that next mm-hmm. thing, innovation that you wanted to build? And I took a detour and I said, I really want to spend more time understanding the core problems mm-hmm. customers have. And so I took the consulting route, help companies with their digital transformation, with their, you know, how they take operation technology, b- blend it with um, IT. And so I went through, you know, doing digital transformation roadmaps for multiple, like, uh, you know, did it for large companies. And um, while I was going through that journey, I was just trying to uh, validate the idea of it I had, which is integrated planning was really a gap in mm-hmm. companies. And so then I started working with them on that integrated planning and I built out bespoke products. You know, how do you do... Uh, you know, integrated scheduling, how do you do capacity network modeling, et cetera, et cetera. And then I realized that as much as there's a problem in those areas, people, there's a lot of knowledge there already baked in. Then you hit the energy transition and mm. you realize there is just absolute gap in knowledge. So the integrated planning cannot even happen because people don't know what aspects are they going to integrate and where's the data coming from. That's when I just, I, you know, double down on building a platform and building it primarily for energy transition because um, I think the opportunity is right there. You know, um, as companies are struggling with it, as they're getting into it, they're in the fringes, it is going to hit. Mm. And we believe we are ahead of the curve in trying to serve that market. What What about... You, you, you know, your backgrounds working in business development within sure. oil and gas companies. What, right. what took you to come and work for a startup? Well, I've seen a lot of, I mean, I've seen a lot of change. Um, and it really got accelerated probably about six or seven years ago. So prior to, to you know, teaming up with Sujatha and, and being mm-hmm. a part of Decider in my past, I had left um, an organization that many people know. It's It's part of market now and actually is um, merged as part of S&P, but I was with IHS and mm-hmm. I sold risk management and operational excellence solutions. And I was selling to this same market, but it was really around, hey, how do I do emissions accounting? How do mm-hmm. I how do I run, you know, hazard analysis before I run operations? And every time we would go talk to someone, it was, hey, we're hearing about machine learning. We're hearing about artificial mm-hmm. intelligence. How are you guys utilizing that? And I'm like, we're not. And so I left and I ended up at GE. Mm-hmm. And I was um, I had ownership of the GE digital portfolio for oil and gas. And so we utilized GE oil and gas before it became Baker Hughes as a go-to mm-hmm. marketplace. But we also had a lot of kind of in-between customers that would come to GE just for and so we started to see this evolution and I got to work with some of the greatest engineers across multiple disciplines. I mean, so you're talking about aviation, you're talking about power generation, you're talking about healthcare, not just oil and gas. And it was the combination of the knowledge in those areas is what kind of led to, oh, 
we're really proficient mm-hmm. at predicting when that particular piece of equipment is going to fail. So much so that we believe that you could move from a scheduled kind of a reactive mm-hmm. maintenance you know, planning solution to a scheduled maintenance planning solution to a predictive maintenance planning. And I kind of see that as the precursor for what I've learned is saying these industries all seem to be moving to they're almost as a predictions unit or a predictions mm-hmm. department within industrial companies over time. Mm-hmm. Kind of the, the, the new, you know, the new OMS or the new O&M model. Um, so I've seen that. And as talking to Sujatha, we actually met while I was working at GE. Uh, we've always stayed in touch. We both live in the same part of town. And she started talking, hey, this is what I'm doing. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay. I, I wasn't looking at it from the same point of view because my view has been business development and sales of, of complex solutions. Um, but as I started kind of digging into it, I was like, oh, this is, this is definitely where we're going. And I like startups. I was mm-hmm. the founder of, uh, co-founder of two different companies. So it was kind of a natural fit of wanting to do this. But also um, a big part of it is, is that figuring out the, the new dynamics of how Houston the, you know, the global energy capital of the world is going to look in the next 10 to 15, 20 years. And what can you sell to that industry as opposed to what currently just, just exists today? Yeah. So how is that decider funded today? Fully bootstrapped. Okay. My life savings going into my passion. <laughs> have, have you been out trying to raise capital from VCs? Um, so initially I did. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you look at the the funding community, a lot of money goes into hard tech, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there are software companies being funded, not as much as hardware companies. And so, um, you know, the, there was a lot of interest and traction. Um, and then the market collapsed. Mm-hmm. 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 And, you know, they wanted more traction. They wanted to see, you know, more pilot revenue. And so I just, I had a vision and I said, okay, if, um, I'm I'm going to put my money where my vision is, mm-hmm. and so I started funding it. I'm back ready to go fundraising because in order for mm-hmm. me to go and and do this um, the the tiered product sale, um, I first need to build more of a self serve model, which is where I'm mm-hmm. taking it to, and I also need a bigger sales team, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know so. Both these, for both of this to happen, I need funding. Mm. And uh, so I'm going to start fundraising and, you know, I'm in discussions now and I, you know, I'm going, um, you know, really reaching out to all the investors I've spoken to before, new investors. Mm-hmm. That's where I am right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm here for the ride. I, I, I told my family, Hey, I, I can, I can, uh, die a poor person, <laughs> but I'm going to have fun and change the world while doing yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. Do, do you feel like um, the, the there's hesitancy for investors to invest in the energy transition? Or? Um, yeah, because, you know, they, they see the complexity of what we are trying to achieve. Mm. There are two things that happened. You know, when they saw the way I was solving the problem, they knew that that needed to happen, but they did not know how I was going to be able to scale. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that was a gap that I had to go through my own journey and Mm -hmm. fill out. Mm -hmm. And now I know how to scale. It becomes a better storytelling, Mm -hmm. a better 
vision that I can present in terms of how I'm going to scale, how am I going to give them the returns that, you know, mm. most startups have to promise. And so I'm there now where the investors had asked me to be a year ago, but that's a journey I had to take. Well, and I think myself. it's also, we're not just talking about the, the evolution of the industry companies themselves um, and how they're looking towards a lower carbon future. It's, it's also the financial side of that. Mm -hmm. It's the services side of that. And so investors are also in this place where they don't necessarily have the internal knowledge to say, oh, this makes a lot of sense for my portfolio, or this makes mm -hmm. a lot of sense for, you know, a lot of people that come to me for, you know, an analyst resource. And, and that is, is that they don't really know how it's going to play out over time. We have a framework now, right, under IRA. There's a framework for saying how this might look as an incentive for companies, but the details of that are still yet to be determined in a lot of ways. So I think sometimes the hesitancy is the same thing. You're doing an evangelistic sell mm -hmm. to the industry itself, but you're also doing an evangelistic sell to the venture community. Mm -hmm. And that's a that's kind of two different plays. So if they are interested, they're asking for, um, you know, a piece of equity that at this stage we might not be willing to give mm -hmm. up. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm curious how you, um, your view on the Houston community and sort of the innovation ecosystem that's here sure. and, and the VCs that you're, the investors that you're talking to, are they mostly based out of Houston or are you looking also to look at other areas? Uh, I, I learned very early in my life, uh, in my journey that you don't talk to Houston investors. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that? Um, they are very knowledgeable about oil and gas, mm. so they are ready to invest easily because they know the money they do, they, they, they know what mm. they're going to get out of it. It's, they've learned through their journey. Mm. They have built their own AI around mm. it. Mm. Um, but when it comes to, you know, technologies outside of that, they have a hard time connecting the dots, mm -hmm. uh, especially, and they're very, you know, they are more likely to look at hard technologies and say, because that's something they're used to, mm. um, but they are not very used to software technology solving a complex problem. So it has been, I speak to a lot of Houston um, angels. I speak to a lot of Houston investors and um, it's, you know, it's not lack of trying and, you know, it's, it is what it is. Houston mm -hmm. as a um, community has to evolve. We've seen rapid changes since mm -hmm. I even started. Yeah. And there's a, and there's a difference between, um, you know, corporate investing, mm -hmm. corporate venture arms versus the, you know, private venture capital or private equity. And that is, is that if you talk to a corporate venture arm um, right now, most of them, the big guys, all have a low carbon team or a hydrogen team or a biofuels mm -hmm. team. And so the very first thing that they, oh, well, how do you fit into that mold, that box? And, mm -hmm. and the pro we don't, we fit across it. And when we say that we're kind of, we can straddle across all these different disciplines, they don't, they don't understand how that's possible yet. We're, so it becomes an evangelistic cell. Mm -hmm. Private it is, oh, I don't have internal expertise to evaluate where this is going. So there's a, there, yeah. there is a, there's a difference. Um, they don't have a thesis around it, mm, right? Yeah, mm, so mm. the institutional investors don't have a lot of thesis around it. While if you had a traditional technology going for oil and gas or others, 
they have a thesis. They know, oh, this is a pain point. They haven't figured out the pain point of energy transition yet. Yeah. So they have to take my word for it. Mm-hmm. And the corporate investors, the CT, uh, you know, the um, the corporate technology ventures, they are they understand kind of the overall problem. But a lot of CTVs come to me and say, oh, you know, uh, we'd love to invest in you. Um, for your Series A because you're risk averse. Mm-hmm. And I go, well, I have to get through C to come to Series mm-hmm. A. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it's all of these challenges that every founder goes through. Yeah. It's not a unique uh, mm-hmm. decider challenge or uh, a me challenge. It's every, you know, it's it's a perfect storm now. Yeah. I'm focused on energy transition mm-hmm. when the market is down. Right. Mm-hmm. And people are risk averse and they want more traction. Well, you know, the companies are coming and saying, I need to understand what I'm doing. So how am I going to kind of leverage you? So this is this is what the industry is grappling with. So could I ha- have taken an easy path and gone into a well-known industry and solved mm-hmm. similar challenges? I could have. But, you know, being p- part of being an experienced founder is you want to go after a passion. Mm-hmm. The, you know, you want to change the world. You want to kind of leave a legacy behind. And so you take the hard challenges that you want to solve for. And you come up with some of these, you know, barriers. But that's part of a founder's journey to mm-hmm. kind of keep solving for each impediment that you come across so that you can actually change the world. Yeah. Yeah. So, um when we think about Houston, you said a lot has changed. Like, what, what are you proud of in the Houston innovation ecosystem? Oh, you know, just in the last, you know, I, I can give a shout out to Greentown yeah. Labs, Jason. Um, you know, being part of Greentown Labs has been a great journey mm-hmm. for me. You guys have been so immensely helpful from everything from customer engagements to events to um, investor connections. So really happy to be there. The second thing is look at Houston. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, I work with Hetty, mm. um, you know, and largely just it's it's a different the Ion District, the Hetty, everything is just booming and making changes. So people can have a different perspective about Texas, mm. and you know, Californians and New Yorkers can say, "Oh, Texas, oh, fossil fuel state." Mm-hmm. It's not. Yeah, it's it, it's completely changed. Some, some change. I mean, this year at Sarah Week. Mm. Um, the first ever energy transition social hour happened yeah. at the Petroleum Club, yep. <laughs> which was very ironic. Yep. And there were hundreds of people there. We were all, and one of the opening statements from the keynote speaker was, can you believe this? We're having yep. an energy transition event at the Petroleum Club. So we are seeing the change. And I I, I, I think Sujatha is dead on. You're seeing, I mean, not just the ION and, and Greentown Labs, but the Canon, the new... And so from that Houston investor standpoint as well, there's no shortage of people that are interested in learning about what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, they're still trying to figure out where they think the market is going. So I, I think we have to continue to evangelize and educate on what the capabilities and possibilities are. And the art of the future at some point will will intersect with mm-hmm. what we've been working on. Mm-hmm. I think it's ready, right? With the carrot and the stick coming, the marketing mm-hmm. market is going to reach. We are ready. We are ahead of the market a little mm-hmm. bit. So, you know, that's why we had to put in our own money to make sure we are getting the product to where it is. When the market is there, 
we are ready. We are good to go. Mm. And that's what that's where we wanted to be. Uh, the journey is hard, but you know, that's always the fun. Yeah. That's yeah. the fun that's of it. Well, yeah. yeah, it, it is yeah. for sure. Yeah. So, what do you think our audience can? You know, many things. It just, uh, you know, if you if you are uh, a uh, you know a, a young engineer uh, trying to learn more more about energy transition, reach out to us. We we would love to. The more people we can educate mm -hmm. on this is is really come and be part of our journey. We'd love to have you. Yeah, uh, we solicited feedback last week. Um, mm -hmm. We were at um, a heady event. And the entire team from the Texas A&M Energy Institute walked up to us and they all are working on different various PhDs and they were just asking questions about this and that so much so that we said, hey, look, let's just schedule a call. We'll show you a demo. Mm -hmm. You can talk to one of our developers um, who writes algorithms. This is what we see. And they're like, this is where the future is. So we, we love the opportunity to work with groups like that. Sujatha's worked with U of H for a long time. She went through the rice incubator. So that's so also a big University connections are great. I mean, um, you, you know, uh, shout out to U of H. We are part of their uh, show place. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, as you said, uh, we're part of Rice Clean Energy Ventures. Um, but then the, uh, the other one is if you are a company trying to um, achieve carbon abatement, Talk to us. I mean, yeah. we have really an easy solution to make it happen for you. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and we can, you know, it's, it's an ecosystem play. We all need to work together to reach the low carbon future. And so we need to rely on each other. Um, and that's really what our ask is, is really talk to us, work with us. You know, we have the expertise. We have the solutions to help you get there. and. Uh, you know, let's work together. Let's collaborate. Yeah. The, and, and so how do they reach out to you? Well, I mean, first and foremost, decider.app, mm -hmm. uh, D-S-I-D-E-R.app. -E I mean, that is our, our URL. Um, you can find Sujatha and myself on LinkedIn. Um, we're obviously there as well. And we're very, it's very simple. You know our names, you know our email. <laughs> okay. She's Sujatha at Decider. I'm Brandon at Decider. It's not hard to find us. And, right. and if you can't remember any of that, contact us as Decider is, yeah. also gets to us. Yeah. Got it. yeah. I'll, I'll put the contact info in the show notes for sure. Okay. Um, do you have any last thoughts? Well, like I think, to... yeah. So I, I, had the opportunity to work for, with some fabulous people. And obviously um, Sujatha is one of those people and her passion for this and her knowledge. And we, we look at this and I, I've combined that and kind of one of the things that really clicked for me, which I think is a, is kind of part of our, our continuing existence. So if you say, what's our, our evolutionary thesis for decider, I go back to some words. So there was, a, there's a very good, um, energy economist that I worked with at GE, um, Michael Farina, mm -hmm. shout out to him. And he would constantly say when we go into meetings, the world is long on oil and gas. Mm -hmm. We have proven reserves in both yep. categories, <clears throat> tremendous amount of power that can be fueled. Yet, as a population, we continuously become short on power. Mm. Mm -hmm. And we are now trying to solve for that in a different way than we've ever solved for it before. And so I, I, that just kind of echoes the thought. So if your, your listeners out there that, what does that mean? How do I, how do I understand that? Hey, reach out. We'd love mm -hmm. to talk. It's 
Um, intellectual curiosity is, is definitely part of why we exist in helping to solve those critical challenges. So I would, I would say, hey, you know, we love to spend time just discussing what the art of the possible is and how we've attacked it. Mm-hmm. And we'd love to do that with your listeners as well. So I will just say, you know, we are in, at this interesting crossroad mm-hmm. of call energy transition. We really had to, you know, reimagine the way the future is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we need to reimagine, companies need to reimagine how they invest, how they build and operate, how they collaborate with their suppliers, their ecosystem. We have the ability, we've been given a chance with this new paradigm shift to really reimagine how we do business. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that's what we are providing through Decider is a new way to think, the new way to operate in the future. And, you know, we'd love to talk to industries and, um, you know, people who want to engage with us alike to kind of collaboratively mm-hmm. reimagine the future. Cool. Well, thank you for being here and helping us reimagine the future. <laughs> <laughs> thank, thank you, Jason. Thanks, thanks for listening. Nata. We thank appreciate you. it. Yeah. <laughs> thanks for having us and, you know, look forward to collaborating and changing the world. Mm-hmm. Right. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you.